0: Welcome to the Free Lawyer Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Miles. The Free Lawyer Podcast is designed for the lawyer, entrepreneur, or professional who is in some way unfulfilled, stressed, or stuck, and is looking for something better. We will discuss various blocks that limit us from achieving the personal freedom that we all desire, but have not yet fully experienced. And we will give actionable steps to free yourself from them. Are you looking to achieve a new level of success? If so, this podcast is for you. Hey everybody, welcome to the next episode of The Free Lawyer. And I'm really thrilled to have with us today a a very special guest, Owen McGran. Owen came from working in medium and, and large law firms in the Pittsburgh area and has charted his own path and started his own law firms where he does things differently in a way that is more balanced, more client-focused, and where he can a- attain a level of health and wellness that he wasn't able to achieve before. Owen, how are you today? I'm doing great, Gary. How are you? I'm awesome. Owen, tell me a little bit about your journey professionally and how it got you to where you are today.
1: Sure. So, you know, I I began my uh post-college years. I went to graduate school. I thought I was going to become a rock star. Um, I realized that um, I like to eat food and and playing music doesn't enable that very well. And so um, I sort of gave into the power and I, I followed my dad, who's an attorney, uh, into law nice. school. Nice. Um, from law school, I graduated right into the teeth of uh, the 2008-2009 recession um and i was lucky enough to get a job clerking um for um a judge in pittsburgh who is the the sort of he's retired now but he was the dean of the pennsylvania state court trial judges he wrote all of the discovery rules wow. and, and things like that so what a
0: great experience that must have been
1: you know i i i remember you talking with uh, emily Stedman about uh both of your um experiences clerking and one of the things that was so valuable was recognizing that you know because i saw every attorney in pittsburgh come through that courtroom right and and attorneys from all over the country and you start realizing that there are so many different ways to practice law lots of ways not to do it which is incredibly valuable but but it really comes down to it's very apparent quickly when you are not being yourself right? When you are trying to inhabit some persona or, you know, some sort of image of what, you know, um, Bill, uh, William Shatner's like on Boston Legal or some nonsense like that. Um, yeah, that, and so, that is so,
0: that's so profound. I think the single most important element of being a good trial lawyer is being yourself, talking to the jury yeah. in a way that fits me. Um, and other people have completely different styles for me and they work very well for them, but yeah. they would never work for me. And I, really, it's an important statement.
1: Yeah, you know, because, you know, I, I, I was worried, you know, I wanted to be a trial lawyer, but I'm not the most, you know, aggressive or effusive or, you know, over the top kind of personality. And I realized that I don't have to be, right? I can be somebody who, um, you know, if I am straightforward and honest, people will believe me. Right, in a way that if I'm over the top, nobody ever would. Right. So it's 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 a matter of finding the way that you come across in such a way that other people hear you and say,
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, that we works. often talk on LinkedIn that the importance is to build a relationship somewhat with someone where they know, like, and trust you. That's right. kind of a common phrase. The same is true with the jury. If we come across hmm. as too strong, too weak, or not real, they're not gonna really Trust us, and it's all about building trust. So after you had that great experience clerking, uh, tell me about where you went from there.
1: Yes, from there, I worked for um, two or three sort of mid-sized Pittsburgh firms between 150 and 200 lawyers. So, you know, sort of edging on big law, um, but not quite the the full scale um, uh, thing. Uh, From there, I went to um, a national firm with almost 2,000 lawyers, um, and you know, it, when I was there, I came down, um, severely ill, um, and had to take some time away from practicing law. Um, I went into a surgery that I had a 10% chance of surviving,
0: wow.
1: you know, made it out. I uh, then had an organ transplant. Um, and you know, going through something like that, it can't help, but change your perception of uh what's important um the the way that you want to appear in the world the things that matter to you yes and so when i got healthy enough to start thinking about um i gotta make a living again right I, i i'm no longer you know incapacitated or not able to work the thought of going back to a law firm gave me heart palpitations Right. It well, was, tell
0: me about that experience. Owen. what did you like about the law firm? But but what is it that gave you the heart pal- palpitations or or made you dread going back?
1: Yeah. So I mean, part of it is um, I don't do well with authority, right? Just just in general, you know. And that's that's just a broad level kind of thing. My uh, one of the reviews that I got, um, you know, said um, insubordinate, even if usually correct. Right. So that that was kind of my the way that I fit into law firms where I was kind of the asshole who showed up and, you know, had opinions in a way that associates often weren't supposed to, Um, you know, and um, one of the things that I found incredibly difficult was were situations where um, a a senior attorney would come to me and say, here's what we're going to do. And I would say, that's not going to work. Right. Or that doesn't serve the the, the client's interests here. It, it might be more work for us, but it's it's not going to do anything for the client. And being told we're going to do it, and then when it went pear shaped, oh, and why did we do that? Like we we should have known better. Right. I'm very good at owning my own mistakes. I have a lot of trouble owning other people's mistakes that are attributed to me. Right. For sure. You know, and and you know, that's, that wasn't the case universally at, at the firms I was with, but cool. it happened frequently enough that, you know, I, I realized that I was a bad employee. Um, and I thought maybe I should try to be the owner and, and right. see, see what happened there.
0: One of the things we've chatted about before, um, and, and, and I know is a problem for a lot of lawyers is the hourly billing requirements. What was your experience right. with them? So, um,
1: I have ADHD and one of the things that um, happens when you have ADHD is you're, you're somewhat time blind, right? So um, it's not infrequent that I'll be down here in my office and it's two 30 in the morning and my wife will come down and say, are you, are you ever going to come to bed? (laughs) And I, I will have been there all day. I haven't eaten. I'm like, what time is it? And it has totally escaped me. I, I was working the whole time. I was really In the middle of something but time just was not something that was even a consideration for me so keeping track of every six minutes of my life was not something it wasn't something that was unnatural it was something that i could not do right and you know at at the firms people would just say well just try harder right as though it were something that i just didn't care about or you know wasn't attuned to the fact that it was important for the for the sake of billing out the work um but you know it's like somebody with a heart arrhythmia and you say well just tell your heart try harder to keep your heart beating you know on a constant
0: right Right. so um, you would get to the end of the day and find you worked 10 hours but only had four or five hours on your time sheet or something
1: right you know and and I would go back and I would take a look at the work that I had done, and it was great work, you know, and I knew that I was on the the phone with a client or, you know, I took a deposition or, you know, any number of things. And I knew that I was providing really good value, both to the firm and to to the clients, but I had no idea how to break it down, right? It was, it was going back and trying to sort of retrofit <laughs> uh, what I had been doing. And um, that's really hard to do. And there's a certain aspect of it when you think about it that is a little dishonest, right? And it explain, never said
0: well. Dis, it. Explain dishonest. So in other words, if you work on a file for an hour and you bill an hour, explain how that could be considered dishonest. So, it, well,
1: it, it could be dishonest in a couple of ways. Um, you know, one, the billable hour puts an inherent conflict between your interest and the client's interest.
0: No question. We,
1: right? want, we
0: want to make more as lawyers and they want
1: to yeah. pay Right, they they want me to be efficient. I want to be thorough, right. right? And that's the kindest, you know, most gentle way of putting that conflict, right? It's a
0: kind way of saying it,
1: right? Um, but there's also, you know, if typically what I did, if I didn't have the exact amount of time spent written down, I would I would err on the side of underbilling, right? Because I didn't want the client to have the burden of of my inability to properly keep track of my time. Um, that also put me at a severe disadvantage when I was, you know, being held to certain hourly standards and, you know, um, you know, it wasn't infrequent that, you know, at the end of the month, you know, my hours didn't really reflect the work that I did, you right. know, and, and this was apparent, not just to me, but but to the partners that I was reporting to and all that kind of stuff.
0: Does that create a um, lot of stress for you? I suspect
1: huge amount you know the the end of the month um you know i would have panic attacks you know just anxiety through the roof um you know and and so the the idea of going back into that kind of world was unimaginable to me you know i i would have gone into a different profession if i had
0: to go back um that makes sense so tell me about what you did tell me about the firm that you started so you know what what i did was
1: um you know, I, I put out my shingle and I started practicing law. And and at first, you know, I just recreated the things that, that I knew how to do, right? Um, the first nine months to a year, you know, was the just a, a version of a big firm with one person. There, there were two people. My dad had retired at that point and he was working to, of counsel part-time. But the model was the same. We build by the hour. Um, you know, i I sent invoices at the end of every month. Um, and that was a little bit more manageable because my caseload, when you first opened, I didn't have a huge amount of work, right? But the more I got into it, the more I realized I'm just building my own prison that I just tra- that I just escaped from, right? it was it was something that was not a sustainable model for me. and and so, you know i I sat back and i I thought, What can I do to make a practice that I would be excited to work in, that would empower me to do the work that I knew that I could do and provide the value that I wanted to provide to the people that I worked with? Um, And the more I thought about it, the more it became just crystal clear to me that, that the thing that had to change before anything else was the billable hour model that I, so long as that were part of what I was doing, uh, I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be healthy. Right? I mean, at that point, I'm still recovering from an organ transplant. Right. And uh, you know, Gary, um, I don't recommend having one unless you need one to keep yourself alive because they're not fun. Right. I mean, they're, I've had they're, some good
0: friends who've had them and gone through yeah. it with them and I you know, understand. And, I understand.
1: And, and the recovery isn't, a whole lot of fun. You have to learn how to walk upright again and all kinds of stuff. I didn't want to put all that I had gone through to get back to health in jeopardy, right? Making money, practicing law was not nearly important enough to me to risk going back to, you know, being sick or you know, having those sort of um, anxiety laced days. Um, and so, you know, I, I started trying out uh, flat fee billing. Um I I got a copy of uh, Ronald Baker's book, um, you know, Implementing Value-Based Pricing, which is a sort, of, uh, a sort of talismanic Bible kind of thing, you know, in the value-based uh, pricing world. And I started just Practicing a lot differently, you know. When when I met with clients or prospective clients, you know, I get a sense of what they needed, and I'd say, "Okay, uh, let's talk about a price." We would have a rational discussion, and we would agree to a price, and they would pay it, and that was it. And then I would do the work. You know, it's the 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 notion of you know the the value of the work I'm providing being contingent upon the amount of time that I spend. You know, imagine going to an Apple store, right? The new iPhone 14 or whatever it is now just came out. You talk to the salesperson and say, so how much does it cost? They say, I don't know. How much do you want to use it? Right. You know,
0: one, you just, look at them like they were crazy. A, we just recently had a very large landscaping project done. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about the value-based pricing when I was thinking about that. The cost was, say, give or take $20,000. But the irrigation, they didn't know until they got in there what it would cost. And if they told me, well, this will cost somewhere between five and 50000 to do the whole thing, but we don't know until we start doing it, I'd have been like, no, thank you. I just won't do it. Right. Um, and the only thing we had an issue with is the irrigation, because the billing for that just seems like crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and all the rest of it was just fine. It might have even been higher than everyone else in town, but it was just fine because I knew what it was. We said, okay, we're in. and it's it right. Worked.
1: And you agree to it, right? You know, I mean, it's not like your 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 arm is being twisted and and being forced into it. You have a discussion. You do the as the attorney, you do the hard work of pricing it up front. Um, but there's also this notion that, you know, well, I don't know how much time it's going to take, right? First of all, I it's that that is still rooted in this notion of the billable hour, right? Um, a lot of people um, that I speak with when they're looking to do flat fee billing, they say, okay, I'm gonna figure out how much, how long it takes me on average. And then I'm going to multiply, you know, my hourly rate by the amount of average time it takes and that's the flat fee. Um, that's a good step, but that's still hourly billing, right? It's just in in a bit of a disguise. Um, you know, the the way that, that I've come to do it is um, getting a sense of what the work means to a client, getting a sense of how important it is to them, right? This has been done for a long time in, for instance, criminal defense, right? If two people are charged with the same crime, but one is a white-collar person who has a significant amount of money and a lot to lose, an attorney is going to charge that person significantly more than
0: an indigent person, right? Right? Yeah, that's such a good point because so many people say, particularly with trial work, oh, you can't you can't do it because we don't know this, we don't know that. Criminal law may be a little more predictable because there's less discovery and the like, but the same issues arise there and they always right. do flat fee.
1: Well, you know, I, I I have I have moved away from litigation because I now have two firms and, and when, when you do litigation it can become all encompassing for a little bit of time and and you know I, so for practical reasons, I've moved away from it, but I did litigation on on uh, flat fee and value-based pricing, right? So imagine these two different conversations. Somebody comes to you and says, I've got this case. How much is it going to cost? And you say, ah, I don't know. It really depends. I don't know how long it's going to take. Um, it could go any number of different ways. But, you know, I charge $580 an hour versus, well... You know, I'm going to draw these three circles for you. Here's the thing that I know is going to happen immediately. Here's, you know, we're going to have to, you know, file a responsive pleading, whether it's a, an answer or a motion to dismiss or or something like that. Here's what it's going to cost for me to do that. Here's a little bit broader of a circle. Here's what I think is going to happen. All right, so we'll probably get one or two of the counts kicked out of a motion to dismiss, but we're going to have to move on to discovery we think that we're probably gonna have to do these 6 depositions based on the information you provided to me, et cetera. And you get pricing like that. Which one of those two, two scenarios do you feel or do you come across as an expert in? No question right? about it. Right, no question, if you're the client, who are you gonna feel more comfortable thinking that you're in good hands with, right? The person who says, here's what's gonna happen. You know, I'm not sure exactly the whole staging, but you know i've done this a number of times and i know i know what it's going to cost versus i don't know i charge 580 an hour
0: right so with your firm now you've started doing value based pricing or flat fee or subscription models and how has that changed your life and and your firm
1: well you know one of the really nice things about um uh, value-based pricing and subscription models. Um, it becomes a lot easier for me to project my own budget, right? My own revenues, um, annual recurring revenue, things like that. Um, there aren't nearly as many months where it's boom or bust. Um, and anybody who's ever owned their own firm knows what those boom and bust months are like. They're exhilarating and they are frightening, right? Yes. That's both me. Of, both boom is ex- exhilarating and frightening and bust is both exhilarating and frightening right like right. um just getting a slightly more even keel with the way that things go knowing that you know I'm not gonna have to you know uh, worry about paying my mortgage any given month or um you know uh if my dog who's getting older you know I, I just took her to the vet and it was a bill, right? That's not a little bit, you know, and knowing that something like that, some unexpected cost is going to be within the range of what revenue comes in in any given month that comes back to me, that, that makes me rest a lot easier, right? It also provides a predictable amount of work, right? And so if I know that, you know, the the number of companies that I have on a subscription, right, provide me a certain amount of work, and I only want to work nine to five. If another company comes along and says, hey, we'd love to hire you, and I'm m- making enough money, and I'm working nine to five, I can say no, knowing that I'm still going to be okay, right? Right. If you don't have the subscription model and you're on that boom and bust, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder to say yes or no, right? Because you're not going to know what your numbers are with as with as much clarity.
0: You know, what I what I like about that model, too, is it encourages a client to not be so afraid of speaking with the attorney and right. not to have that conflict when the bill comes in. Did Owen and I speak for 15 minutes or nine minutes? And did he really need to do that? Or could he skip that step and save me a little bit of money? The scrutinizing of the bills and right. the questioning of them, which creates just inherent stress in, in what is otherwise a, a positive, mutually beneficial arrangement.
1: And and let's take it a step further. If I ask about their family or how their kid's doing, they know that I'm asking because I care, not because I'm trying to get another one, right? right? And so it allows you to build more authentic relationships with the people you work with, Right. Um, You know, I'm invited to my client's birthday, kids' birthday parties at this point, right? Because I'm able to create those relationships where they're not, they're not worried that I'm trying to nickel and dime them on the bill. I'm asking because I care about them, right? And, you know, when you get client relationships where the two of you legitimately care about each
0: other's success, you're going to drive each other's success too. So, um. The clients feel good because they're paying an agreed amount, and they don't feel like you're nickel-diming them. But but you also find that you're profitable or making a fair uh, yeah compensation as well.
1: Yes, you know the, the the deal that I have on the subscription model is that uh, with with I don't lock them into like a year or anything like that. Um, within a 30-day period, they can come to me and say this isn't working for us. Or within a 30-day notice, I can say I think we need to, to to think about the the pricing for this. I'm either charging you too much, or I'm not charging you enough, and here's why. You know, but but the thing that I really love about both the value-based pricing and the subscription and and flat fees in general is pricing is a negotiation that you come to an agreed resolution with, right? It's not a here's my hourly rate, and I'm gonna bill what I bill. Here's the invoice, you need to pay me now. And so with that kind of alignment between my firm and the client, there's there's no real basis for you know being pissed off or upset unless I don't do my work.
0: And that's seldom the problem with we lawyers is not doing our work, really. Yeah. It rises out of all these others. You know, we we talk a little bit about health and wellness. I think, you know, I've had my own um, challenges, too. I, I mm-hmm. was an active alcoholic while I was practicing. I've now been sober in recovery a long time. Mm-hmm. And for me, health and wellness is so important, um, and particularly the mental health, which a lot of folks don't focus on. And I know my conversations with lawyers, I see so often that lawyers are stressed, unhappy, I don't diagnose, maybe depressed, but really struggling um, emotionally Mm -hmm. and mentally. Have you seen that? And what suggestions do you have to help manage our life as lawyers in a way that is better balanced?
1: Yeah, I see that. It's endemic in our field. Um, You know, if you look at the, the, the studies, you know, we are well above the bell curve you know in in terms of depression and and suicide and alcoholism and drug abuse and and among professionals we are in a class of our own um and you know unfortunately having lived in it for a while i I understand why um the the biggest takeaway that that i had from you know me becoming ill and going through the the health um, scares that I had and, and all of that, one of the things that's helped me really move beyond that sort of just intensive perfectionism and, you know, constant need to be just spot on and never wrong and all that kind of stuff is realizing that it matters, but it doesn't matter nearly as much as we think that it does. It's important. People put their lives into our care. Yes. Right. But it's not something that we should kill ourselves over. And I don't mean that figuratively. Right. Um, if you are working with clients who don't understand, if you say, I'm not feeling well, this thing that doesn't have to be done for two weeks can wait until tomorrow. If they don't understand that. Why are you working with them? Right. Right. Um, one of the biggest revelations for me is that I'm allowed to fire clients, right? It's it's once you realize that, you know, this is our only go at this, right? Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I had that surgery where I probably shouldn't have survived, right? Afterwards, you know, somebody asked me, you know, what's it like to almost die? And I said, the thing that you don't realize is that's all of us. That is simply the human condition. Any of us could have that happen at any given time. If you start living your life understanding that, the things that you really care about, the things that you dedicate yourself to, the things that take up your mental space, they change. And I care about my businesses a lot. I work hard. It's meaningful to me to do the work to help other people. But I will never let that get in the way of my health or of my relationship with my wife or any of those things that are the the core components of what makes me happy and healthy. Now, that might not be the exact answer that you were looking for with with the question, but I think that so much of it is we get caught in this way of looking at what it is that we are here for and what we are doing, that we lose track of what's actually important. Um,
0: I think that's really true. You know, if, if you were to speak to a lawyer who's working in a law firm today and he feels overwhelmed and stressed and burned out and stuck and captive, what suggestions would you make to them?
1: The first first thing I would say is, you know, in a given day, what are the things that you look forward to doing, if any, right? What are the things that you look forward to that give you energy? Um, If they are things that happen at work, what can you do to do more of that, Right. The, so often I, I see people look to get better by getting rid of all the things that they don't want to do. And, and that can be an important thing. But I find that certainly for me, at least, I'm happier when I'm able to do things that I love. Even if that means in a given day, I spend a lot of my time doing stuff that I don't want to do, Right you need to find the stuff that you that that gives you energy and 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 focus in on that kind of thing um understand that where you are you don't have to be there's always a choice right that is so true um if where you are is something that you can't imagine ever being something that can turn into something where you want to be find a way to get out and I know that that sounds like an easy thing to do. It's not, right? Extricating yourself from you know a job that is supporting your family, you know and and paying for your mortgage and doing all the things that you need to just get by on a given you know day it's It's not like you pick up and you move out of that. But you can start looking for ways to move to something else, right? Um, you know, one of the things that really surprised me coming from big law you know i work at a firm now that most of my former colleagues would consider podunk i'm making way more money than i ever did in big law doing little stuff in less time and you're happier that's right you know and and so there there are ways that you can create what it is that you want um and I'm not going to say that it doesn't take a lot of courage to try to do it. Um, in some ways, I lucked into it because I didn't have another option, right? I didn't choose to to leave big law and do this, right? right. I, I was rebuilding, right. um, you know, and, you know,
0: but there's always a choice. There is always a choice. Um, what do you find most uh, professionally fulfilling with what you do? Um,
1: when when I get emails or calls from clients who say um, that I have helped change their lives in ways that they didn't think could possibly be changed, right? Whether this is um, extricating (laughs) uh, a bunch of kids from a a disaster of a probate um, where their mother left very confusing um, estate plan, um, you know, and, just basically ripping a family apart, you know.
0: Yeah, I've seen that as well.
1: To, you know, um, helping uh, two founders get a good buy-sell agreement so that when the argument, you know, inevitably happens about who should run the company and things like that, there are ways that they can work through it without coming to blows. I mean, that happened to me last week where, you know, they said, we thought that you were full of it when you said that we needed this, right? But it it saved the company. Yes, it did. You know, and My, so the, the things that give me the most pleasure are not the things that happen to me. It's the things that I help other people achieve.
0: I, I share that perspective. I uh, don't like to think of myself as a time biller, which is how we're raised as lawyers, but a right. problem solver. And when mm-hmm. I'm of service, I'm most fulfilled. And this single things that give us give me the most gratification are letters from clients. I've done family law and it's a very emotional time, a very difficult time. And, and usually it's because the client's more thoughtful, but some clients will send me a handwritten thank you note afterwards with heartfelt words. And I save them because when I have a bad day, that's what I look at to realize why I'm doing this.
1: That is what it's all about. Um, You know, and it's those things that keep me doing this.
0: You've right. been through a whole lot of challenges in your life, much more than anyone else. And and I just, I'm so grateful that you've handled them the way you had. Is there anything in your life you would change if you could and why? And if not, why not? Um,
1: you know, I mean, there, there are certain things that, that if I knew what I knew now, at the time I might do differently. You know, I, I might have, um you know, eaten better, Um, you know, so I I ended up having a liver transplant. I had a um, uh, genetic disease um, called NASH. Um, And even though I never drank heavily, any bit of alcohol, when you've got a diseased liver is is no good. So, you know, I would have gone back and not done that kind of stuff. Um, But ultimately, you know, as cliche as it might sound, I'm pretty happy with who I am right now. Uh, I consider myself extraordinarily lucky and I wouldn't be here unless all of that terrible shit happened. Right. Right. And so, you know, as, as hard as it was to go through, you know, it, it gave me a sort of uh, a perspective that, you know, I don't think um, I would have had at 41 otherwise.
0: Yeah, and that's so, really true, really true. Oh, and I call this podcast The Free Lawyer because for me, it's all about how we as professionals can create personal freedom in our life. What does true personal freedom mean to you?
1: I think true personal freedom comes with understanding that, that you have those choices, owning the fact that, that you have them and making them. Owning the consequences of those uh, decisions, um, but being fully, fully invested in really uh, driving your own life. You know, other people might impact what you're doing, but but you're always in control of your next action. You know, and and recognizing that and and taking control of that is is my idea of what freedom is.
0: That's wonderful. Oh, and I really. Um... I'm gratified to know you, I think your journey through everything you went through medically and physically is very, very powerful. And particularly how it's given you such a different view of life than many of us have. And then maybe you had before this happened, not that anyone would wish on anyone what you went through. But it certainly has given you a really healthy perspective on what's important in your life. And I thank you so much for sharing that with us today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on and, and giving me the opportunity to share. It's um it's really been uh, a pleasure. Thank you.
0: For those who would like to get in touch with you um, personally or directly, Owen, what's the best way to reach you?
1: Sure. So I, I mouth off on LinkedIn every day. Um, and, um, you know, so I, I'm uh, easily findable on LinkedIn. Um, you know, you can find me at um, I think it's uh, LinkedIn dot, or slash in slash Um You can also find me on uh, my website, which is Um, But, you know, reach out, say howdy.
0: Very good. Owen, oh, thank you so very much for joining us today. You're just, you're a great guy and a really great example of what being a good lawyer is all about.
1: Oh, well, thank you, Gary. I appreciate that.
0: And for all you listeners, I want to thank each and every one of you to li- for listening to Owen today. And to all of you, please be well be safe, and be free. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Free Lawyer Podcast. Wherever you are listening, if you enjoyed what I shared, please leave me a rating and review. I would appreciate hearing more about what you like best and what topics you might like me to cover in future episodes. If you are interested in experiencing a more fulfilling and a more successful life, please contact me at www.garymiles.net where you can schedule a free discovery call with me so I can learn more about you, your challenges, and your dreams. I appreciate each and every one of you and have a great rest of your day. Thanks to all of you for your support.